welcome to Mind Space Minimal, a podcast exploring the connections between consciousness, lifestyle, wellness, and aesthetics. We're your hosts. I'm Jessica Yatrovsky. And I'm Daniel Ryan. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today we're talking about family constellations. That's right. I just came back on board, <laughs> like back into my body to remember what we're talking about. Um, you know, when you say family constellations, I know what you're talking about, but I also don't know what you're talking about. Well said. Yeah. yeah. Me too. So let's define it. Yeah. So first off, there's this wonderful quote that every session of therapy is family therapy. And I don't remember who said that, actually. <laughs> it may be Virginia Satir, one of the people we'll talk about today. But family constellations are an experience I have some experience in training in, but not a lot. I, I don't lead family constellations. In fact, I've got some colleagues that do. One guy that comes to mind, Nick Werber. Shout out to Nick. Wonderful guy. Wonderful therapist. But family constellations are essentially these experiences that take groups of people. You know, it can be... I don't know if there's an ideal number, probably more than five, less than 12, but enough people to represent an immediate and perhaps extended family. And in these group experiences where generally you'll have people who are strangers and don't know each other well and are coming to the experience relatively newly, one person will be the subject of the constellation. It will essentially be their experience and the rest of the members of the group will represent members of their family. So as a hypnotist, actually, some of the suggestions and language around it strikes me as really wild and intense. For instance, you and I, Jessica, could be strangers in a family constellation, and I would come up to you and ask you straight up, will you be my father? Wait. Will you be my mother? Will you be my grandmother? Now, now and then, you know, I presumably, was, I thought it you was would family say therapy, yes. Though. I thought it was family therapy. Stay. It is. It is. Stay with me. Okay. This is the exercise. I ask you to essentially play the role of this family member, but oftentimes we take out that extra language and just go, will you be my mother? Will you be my father? And presumably say you say yes, and then I would position you in the room that we're in. You know, I, I would go around if it's my constellation and literally – position people physically in the room according to the way these relationships feel to me. So if you were my father and I have a good relationship with my dad, I might put you, you know, in front of me close looking at each other so we see each other or beside me looking in the same direction like we're aligned. If we don't have a good relationship, I would put you slightly over there with your back to me or or behind me with my back to you or something like this. And that unconscious nature of the relationship would kind of play out. And you could do this with siblings, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. And you eventually, you have in the room, you have this map, this kind of spatial map of the physical, a physical representation of the relationships in the family unit, immediate and perhaps extended family. And then the therapist will start asking the other people there, like you as the mother or father or something like that, will say, Jessica, how are you feeling? And then you just speak your mind. You say, I feel X, Y, or Z. Now, what's cool about this, what's, what's genuinely 
cool, what is weird, what is surprising, all of the above, also very therapeutic oftentimes, and strange, is that the strangers in the group and the people that are representing the other members of the family will often report having feelings or states, associations that correspond to that family member. No doubt there's a ton of transference and projection going on, but you know the, the people that are complete strangers and don't know the family story will begin to say things like, I feel angry, or I feel alienated, or I feel loving, I feel concerned, I feel caring. And this emotional narrative begins to emerge, then the therapist, and this is where the wisdom of the therapist comes in, will talk to the person whose constellation it is, they'll come back to me and say, well, Dan, how do you feel about that? Does that correspond to your relationship with your family member? What is that like for you? You know, And there'll be this dialogue, essentially, that gets created, and we'll start again exploring this map in the room, and then depending on the case and the person, you can start driving things in certain directions and start leading and, and suggesting, depending again on the therapist and their style, if leading and suggesting is something that they do. But it, it's it's fairly... It's a bit of a production because it takes <laughs> yeah. it it takes like a room and twelve people and somebody knowing how to do this. Where do they get everybody... the people from? It's a good question. That's well, a like good that's question. what as you were describing this, I was like at first I thought you meant oh we're you you do it with your actual family. This was done with your real family, and then I was like oh you do it with a fake group of people. But are these people? <laughs> People. Hired actors? Yeah, or are they just like a group therapy situation where you all sign up and you do it together? It's more the latter. Okay. But I'm sh I'm sure it has been done with an actual family at times. It has to have happened at some point in the history of this work. And I do believe we could probably find some kind of uh, general date when these things became popularized. Yeah, I'm curious because this sounds but this, very woo-woo. Well, Oh, yeah. Well, the 70s and the 80s of last century, you know, it's generally speaking, it's fair to assume, and this is true, that these things gained popularity over the course of the end of the last mm -hmm. century and still exist now. You know, the, yeah, we'll call him a thought leader, you know, <laughs> in, in this space. Uh, Mark Wolin has this great book called It Didn't Start With You that is about uh, inherited trauma and family trauma. Which now has shifted to, it's not about you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> bad joke. Uh, they, they, they can be interchangeable. But, uh, and then Virginia Satir. Yeah, Virg Virg Virginia, Virginia Satir. Who was a very influential American author and psychotherapist. I was just reading about uh, her. She like devoted her whole yeah. life basically to social work. and But family... Yeah social work and saw the power in that. And I thought that's really, that's intense work, man. I mean, I've been in family therapy. Absolutely. You've been in family therapy. It's so like cringy, you know, <laughs> Yeah, true. like, I, I don't mean that maybe cringy is not the right word, but it's just so like laborious. It's like, ugh, you know, well, it certainly can be cringy. It can be cringy for children. No yeah. doubt. I can remember being dragged into situations as a teenager where I was definitely cringing. I would have loved to place my parents in different parts of the room, though, and like been like, you know, and my sister. And Well, I do highly recommend. Here's the thing. 
Coming back to this is a bit of a production, your fine question of where do the people come from? <laughs> and and you know, the answer to that is usually, and this is my experience too, I, I hosted a workshop at my old office, the Center for Integrative Hypnosis, which you know well. So it's no longer there after 2020, we closed it. But we had a nice big classroom space and I was hosting my friend Nick Werber, who I just mentioned before, who works with family constellations and oh, so you he did and it. I Oh yeah, yeah. Ah, and I've, cool. I wasn't the subject of the constellation. I was part of the group. You weren't the roast. I've, I've, the roasty. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was. Um, I, I don't even remember what family member necessarily I was asked to be, but uh, but it was really a introductory workshop that I was hosting and Nick was leading where uh, he walked us all through how family constellations work and everybody had the chance to experience it. And it was a wonderful day. It was fascinating. That's super cool. If I'm ever in the mood for woo, I would want to yeah. try that. This, uh, I'll tell you, Jessica, of all the woo stuff we get down with and talk about, I, I do recommend this, is attractive. this one. It is, first of all, the... Uh, foundations in family work mm -hmm. are, are i think very important here you know that quote i mentioned before i feel is so true that every session of therapy is family therapy and working ultimately with the family system if we're going to do intense or not even just deep or, or like you know focused self-reflective therapeutic work eventually we're going to have to work with the family mm -hmm. system in some way shape or form and doing it in this way is is really incredible for a couple of different reasons first of all the support of the group having different people engaged having hopefully a wise and compassionate therapist and then the support of perhaps friends perhaps strangers perhaps both in the group that is incredible, first of all. And then besides that, the little magical moments. There are all these little magical moments when I did that workshop that I was just mentioning that rose up out of the the doing of the constellation. And again, people who were in the position of mother, father, aunt, uncle, grandparents, the stuff that they reported, the stuff that I experienced too without even being part of this person's family narrative was really remarkable, was really very interesting and and spoke to some deeper, more mysterious, more intuitive parts of uh, parts of the therapy, which I thought were so cool, really cool and really appreciated. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a while before I'm in the mood for a woo woo. Uh, we got to find 12 people. I know. Too. I'm not well, sure where we're going to get this group. Family, though, I feel like because I only remember... So family of four, like one sister. Yeah. And then I have. Same. One brother. Yeah. And then grandparents. So how many people are four? Yeah. Four, five, six, seven, eight people. And then an uncle and If you and had, they count. Sure. Right. Well, I mean, it could also include if there were, if, you know, I mean, not saying this for you specifically, but just in general, if there were babysitters nannies teachers neighbors friends oh parents God. you know it's it it really comes down to like who did you consider uh, as a young person to be yeah, yeah you know who were your people you know because as kids you know it's like my friends moms were also like surrogate right. moms in some ways so 
Although I probably wouldn't include them in my well, constellation. Well, I'm curious, but. like, as we're talking about this, too, if you and your brother ever have conversations, like, as you get older, like, mm. conceptions that, or remarks made from your parents that were projected onto you or said to you or your brother, because my sister, mm -hmm. Jennifer, over the years, in more recent years, maybe the past two or three years, she's been telling me things that my parents have been telling her and me mm -hmm. as children and she's telling them she's telling it to me now that you were considered the this one and I was considered that that one they used to always tell uh, me this right. and they used to always say that you were that and it's flooring mm -hmm. me I'm like are you joking mm -hmm. I'm like they said that to you and she's like yeah <laughs> she goes so I grew up thinking that I was the, the, the this daughter I was like whoa and I was also like yeah uh, well, I wish that was true. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean... Because it makes no sense. My folks... Yes. And children... It's frighteningly easy to see this in retrospect. Children actually graft onto those kinds of statements mm -hmm. pretty you know, intensely sometimes in, in ways of forming their own identity and saying, oh, well, I guess she I'm certainly this, did. that, or the other thing. Yeah. my Listen, my brother whom I love, you know, with all my heart and soul, he was like branded the bad kid mm -hmm. when, when we were growing up in our town, you know, Dave had a reputation at a young age, which I look back on now as cool. nothing short of tragic oh, and shameful. Like, it was cool to have a reputation, you know, like when you're a young kid, right? <laughs> well, like, yeah, there may be aspects better of that. Better be polarizing than invisible. Sure. Sure. There might be aspects of that. And I also, I trust his memory and response to all this is extremely different mm -hmm. than mine is. So, you know, and I remember, I remember really growing up in response to his reputation in a lot of ways. Like I was like, oh, I need to be the good kid or mm -hmm. I need to, I don't know, I need to be the response or I need to be different. I need to be, you know, better and behave myself or whatever else, you know, and very much in conversation with my brother. I'll tell you off air what my parents were saying to my sister because I don't want to say it on here. Yeah, it's not very yeah. nice. No, I, I I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, Dave, if you're listening, I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you, man. And Jennifer. You, you never were the bad our parents kid. were not correct with their assessments <laughs> of, of us. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Dave and I could probably say I the don't. same too. God bless them. They did the best they could, I, I believe. Yeah, I mean, my parents were fine. And actually, my mom gave me right. a huge fucking compliment the other day out of the blue, which oh. I'll share if you do you want mm -hmm. or don't want. Okay. I do. I do want. So um, it was we were all on three way. It was me, my sister and my mom. And then my dad was chiming in here and there. And my mom goes. Oh, you always had something on your head when you were young. She goes, you always had a hat. And I used to take the, because remember back <laughs> in like the old days, um, you would have the knitted or crocheted uh, toilet paper cover on your toilet paper. Do you remember these? Vaguely. You should remember them more because you're slightly older than me. I, I don't know if I ever <laughs> saw this. A, a crocheted paper Toilet yeah, paper cover? they had like even little dolls on the top of them. So you would cover the toilet paper when it wasn't in use and it'd be on the back of a toilet bowl. <laughs> no, I don't think oh, so. Oh, I'm going to nope. send you a picture. Nope. It's going to blow your mind. So I used to Please take do. it and put it on my head as a hat because they looked like beanies. <laughs> and 
And then my mom said, you always had to, you always put a hat on. You were always making hats out of things to make us laugh. So she's like, even when you didn't have a hat at your disposal, you would put either a piece of paper or a napkin on your head. And she said, (laughs) you used to crack us up so much that I think you missed your calling as a comedian. Because she said, mm. we, I was always concerned with making people smile and laugh. And I was like, cool. Mm. I'm glad you guys <laughs> encouraged that. Not really. Right. I became an insular, you know, uh, uh, curmudgeon, <laughs> uh, recluse artist, which has, which is the funny thing, too, because I know we're going to get into this in other episodes that I think people mm. don't realize that I have a really dark and expansive sense of humor they Mm -hmm. see me as very serious so Mm. i when my mom complimented i i took it as a compliment anyway that she said she's always found me to be incredibly funny and my dad as well to have an incredible sense of humor and making them laugh (laughs) with antics but i was like Mm -hmm. that's nice and why didn't i hear that sooner you know I was an, right, an entertainer right. in the house, and I was extremely like introverted outside the house. That's that's interesting, Jessica. You and I have that mm-hmm. in common. I think you know in our stories as children. Another thing we totally have in common, which you just articulated beautifully, which I do want to talk to you more about, is I I feel similarly in that you know I I find my profession and most of wellness and mental health care recognizing of course like i'm here because it's serious i'm here because i want to fucking help i'm here because i'm like fed up with a lot of what i see and it's constant i comedy. know i'm like trying i'm it's holding constant, back laughter right now it's constant <laughs> farce and satire over and over and over again and some you know comedians and personalities on youtube and whatever get that and do a good job of of sending it up but uh i feel you know i i Oftentimes I want to be, I want to be funny. And I I feel like laughing at a lot of the problems are actually more productive ways of diagnosing them than the very unproductive conversations in mental health we're having most of the time, not Mm -hmm. you and I, but larger conversations at the institutional level. Uh, So, and well, yeah, just that, that it's, this is hilarious. This is absolutely hilarious. I could pivot at any moment. And just become a comedian talking about the same things I already do. I make my therapist laugh, but not for validation. Like, I don't want to make her laugh or anything like that. But And I point it out, too. Like, if I ever laugh and I'm saying something uncomfortable, I said, see, I'm laughing. Like, I pointed out to her. I'm like, I'm laughing because this is really hurtful. And also, but I see the comedy in it at the same time. I see the tragedy and the comedy. And I swear, I had therapy right before our session today. Or our our session. session. (laughs) These are (laughs) sessions. They're totally sessions. Our recording session. Um, I had therapy right before this. And I swear, I think I melted her brain like by the end of Mm. this. And I was thinking she probably needs a break after this session where she's just like, what the fuck did I just listen to for, you know, what, 45, 50 minutes? And I was also thinking like, why the fuck did I talk about this? I mean, I know why I was talking about what I was talking about, but at the same time, I was like, you know, as a therapist, you're, you're, you're connecting, you're listening and you're giving feedback depending on what the situation is being talked about. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking Mm -hmm. like, I wonder if she's going to go now and tell somebody like, 
I just had to hear about an hour full of something called an NFT and, uh, and, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) platforms. And, and I was just like, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Like I'm bored. I bored everyone around me. Like this is boring. I told her, I was just like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I was like, this is boring. And then I just felt like, oh, she's probably going to get off of this and be like, need to go like fucking do a men in black mind wipe of this stupid conversation. (laughs) It's not a stupid conversation, but it just, it just reminds me of being in therapy. You know, you, there's laughter, but there's pain behind certain things. But even in, even in sessions that feel like they're not productive or that you're babbling, just like I'm babbling right now, they are productive. So I do think about that when I kind of bring it back to family when I think about family mm-hmm. therapy, let's say, I hated mm-hmm. it, but I think it was productive because it was important for like our parents to hear what me and my sister had to say. And it was also probably important mm-hmm. for us to just know that our parents were trying to have a dialogue with us because I can't really remember anything that they were saying. I just remember my dad was an avid note taker during therapy and that annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> Because it's like, this is not taking notes. To- he t- he takes notes throughout his whole entire life. And he was even taking notes in therapy. Yeah. And he would do that thing where he'd right. be like, here, I got to Do I have a pen in here? So, because he's a maniac. That's not a secret. Even if you're listening to this, dad, you're a maniac. He's got anger issues. And he'd be like this in therapy. Hmm. Right. Being very studious. Like a journalist. Being very studious while yeah. the therapist is going off. Meanwhile, at home, he's screaming his head off. And I'm just like, can't you scream your head off in therapy? Like, let, show him who you are. You know, so because and then it seems like we're me, my sister, my mom are all crazy because we're talking about these experiences with my dad where he's Mr. Like, hmm, reflection man in therapy. And it's like, oh, I have to tell you this one story because we're talking about family therapy. Please. I want to respond to what you just said. Go ahead. Well, just that family therapy is for adults. It's not for children. <laughs> like children, children are unformed. Children are being fucked up at the moment. You know, they're like, they're, they are developing. Why am I here? So we can't, so we, yeah, I mean like, and I, I say this as a kid that was dragged into families, anonymous meetings and, you know, AA meetings. Before I ever had a sip of alcohol, I was in AA meetings be- because of my fucking family. You're like, I want to be you know? home playing Nintendo. When I wanted- what the fuck? Exactly. I'm like, I have a crush on a girl <laughs> across town right now who's also 13. Can I go talk with her, please? I, I, you know, and not hear about the incurable disease that uh, that somebody right. s- supposedly has. No. So, yeah, I mean... The therapy, I mean, because it's such a great example, too, of how, and this could happen to us, too, you know, shout out to all the parents doing the best they can. I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus, but like as adults, we're the, we're in charge. We're the ones who are deciding to even go to therapy as we, you know, drag the kids there. So, so yeah, no, I agree completely. And that differential between the note taking in the session <laughs> and the screaming his head off at home. Uh, you know, it's it's, like, my you dad was similar. Well, 
Yeah, and then my dad had huge rage problems, and then you know was also an extremely talented therapist. So what do well, you do with that? Well, that's my dad is, is an extremely talented doctor, and yes, you know screams his head off at home, and there's just right. there's so many funny things like um, I, I could tell this on here because my parents don't even know how to get a podcast, um, and I don't think they're either. And my my dad is. Yeah, my um, dad has passed. He's not with us. And his rage problems, just so everybody knows, he was never abusive. He was just like an angry yeah. guy sometimes. Well, but please continue. Um, that's not my story. Uh, I think my dad's mm. rage is abusive and he's acknowledged that it, it is. A, but um, mm. like the, mm. the, you know, words hurt. <laughs> right? So, yes. um, And yes, the certainly. energy of rage, of right, is hurtful. And yeah. so yeah. I think my... Yeah. I don't know, my therapist or my therapist, our family therapist, probably because you're all you you only know what the patients are telling you. Right. And I remember this psychologist True. or psychiatrist, yeah. I can't remember, but he was our family doctor and he was working with my parents. But it was really like my dad needed to go to therapy and he just brought my mom is basically what was going on there because my mom was super like, got it. not that she wasn't into it. It was just like, my dad can't do anything alone. He can't even do therapy alone. So he brought her along. Mm. And then of course, slowly the therapist of course is going to get my mom involved in this. And mm. there was this funny moment where they had the Nerf wand, you know what I'm talking about? From the nineties, they were. Mm. It was like a, yeah. like a, st not styrofoam, but what was it? Like a squishy. They were like bats, but they were soft. Sure, like pool noodles. Yes, but, but way softer than that. Like shorter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, but I think they were like Nerf bat. You know, bat someone on the head with it, but it doesn't hurt. And so he pulls this thing out from the side of his chair, and he's like, "Do you want to hit Stephen, my dad?" And my mom goes, not really. And and he goes, well, you're angry at him, right? And she's just like, well, yeah. And, you know, whatever. I'm really paraphrasing this. So she ends up um, getting talked into hitting him in the head with this, like, nerf bat. And then she hits him a few Comedy. times. And he's like, no, come on. hit, Really hit him. Hit him, you know? <laughs> And she hits him so hard in the head that his glasses fly off and his uh, yarmulke. I was like, keep up. People won't know what that is. Uh -oh. His yarmulke. So, like, slaps it right off mm -hmm. of his head. And this, I was not, I was not president for this because this was, like, a session between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yes, bitch. Like, <laughs> like this. Mm -hmm. But do you know that this was yeah. in a movie, too? I saw this later many years. I want to say huh. it was the first Wives Club or a movie like that. Maybe it was first Wives Club. Okay. Where she like hits, sure. they, they hit each other or something. But the same thing. So I was like, this must have been a 90s thing, right? Yeah. So that was Probably. funny. And then Probably. I don't think that the therapist fully understood like the, and they never do, right? Because you don't live in someone's house with them. But like the depth of like his right. his rageful kind of like, you know, outbursts that my mom she had you know the little your little smocks you wear around the house with the pockets in the front so she was wearing this little smock and my mom had a fucking recorder like a hand recorder like reporters like a little journalist thing 
And when my dad yep. started yelling, she would just mm-hmm. slip her hand in the pocket and turn it on. Okay. And Brilliant. then she came Brilliant. to the room to me one time. She's like, hey, you want to hear something? And <laughs> she played it for me. I was like, mom, first of all, he will fr- he will freak out more to hear this recording of himself because you're out of your body when you're in that kind of rage. Like, I think we could we could agree. Right. Completely. So it's like somebody completely. showing you a reflection and it, it that's completely like that would just be disturbing for you to see that. Um, so I believe she played it in therapy for him without him knowing that that mm-hmm. was going to happen. I think it was a reveal. Whoa. I'd have to I'm going to follow up with her on that because that was so like a uh, what do you call that in poker? Just like a. <laughs> house or yeah it was checkmate is what that is yes um, because she wasn't really involved in therapy at the beginning when they were doing it and then she started getting into it but in a very passive aggressive way because she's very passive you have to be passive to be married to that man and she she and it was crazy because it reminded me when she played this this recording it was literally like and i always use this i feel like i use this reference all the time on this podcast but it was like in ghostbusters when they're in the courtroom and the mm-hmm. judge is like you know and he's yelling so much and the slime is is becoming something and gurgling it's yeah. like my dad is that judge then and and it was like <laughs> you heard that energy coming through the recorder that even for her playing it for me was re-triggering the argument that I heard earlier in the evening just the sound right (laughs) just the sound yeah so everything is good the kids are all all good oh good oh good yeah the uh I I, awesome move on your mom (laughs) as far as I'm concerned and here's a pro tip to partners and spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends out there and I'm not saying this either in the uh you know like Let's all take videos of everything we see in the mm. world now. But if you ever want to glitch out your partner's rage, and I say I, I think you should let them know you're doing it. Yeah. Don't do it covertly. We all have recorders in our pockets. When <laughs> when know. people this like sounds, that, these feels like dangerous territory. It is dangerous territory, but people need to fucking know who they are and what they become. Yeah. You know, it is dangerous territory. It's more dangerous to let it thrive and to enable it yes correct so i i may or may not have done this successfully in the past with other partners and ex-girlfriends but recording fights recording arguments as a way of making people reflect on their 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 tone and their vocabulary anonymously like i mean not anonymously but like no i I mean i mean do it overtly i i i the last part of the suggestion is to not do it secretively. When you're in the middle of the fight, take out your phone and start recording. Let the person know you're making a record of okay. this because people need to know how the fuck they sound yeah. and, and, and what words they use. It, yeah. is, it forces a kind of reflectiveness. It really does. That it, I mean, to the in point of time. your story, is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. is really confrontational and can actually be a hell of a power move. I've captured it on on mistake at times when I'm recording something else and, and mm-hmm. there'll be, you know, something said. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, this is how you sound. And then the, the other person will be like, trying to almost like defend it. 
Well, exactly. At first, you want to, you don't want to be a monster. You don't want to believe you can be that. And I think like that's a tricky thing too, because it's like nobody wants to be that, right? But we we slip into these comfort places where we could just say whatever we want to people we love and we're close to. But to me, I'm guilty of it too. I guess I live in a la la land of like. I'm not going to speak to you like that because I care about you. So like, why the Imagine fuck are that. you raising your voice to me? What are, what are you describing right now? Is it boundaries? Yeah. Are you describing boundaries? Yeah. It sounds like you have them. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, yes. you know me, like I'm very intense. Yeah. Like I could, what do they say? Give as good as you get, get as good as you give, whatever. Right. But I feel like in arguments, I kind of try to maintain like a centeredness where I stay on the topic because, you know, in fights, different things fly in, especially if we're talking about family. Of course. Things come come back from the past and they start bringing that up. And even I mean, that's partially why I was like put in the position of therapist in my family, because I would keep everyone on track. I'd be like, no, we're Mm -hmm. talking about this, not that. And. It's interesting because when those fights start happening, you see that all of this information starts to just, it just starts flying in from all different directions. You're like, wait, that was in the 90s. We're in the aughts right now. Why? Don't bring that up. Like, that has nothing to do with this. It does have something to do with the way you feel about this, but we're actually just talking about this other sin right now. So it, it it's complicated, right? It's layered. Like, you can't... Yes. Maybe you can never have that argument with having all of that baggage, right? So families are really complicated. Mm. The families we create are complicated, you know, whether it's like a friends group or whatever. But yeah, I mm. just get really like, Ugh, this is why I don't want to, and I don't want to know anyone anymore. I don't want new friends. I don't want new dramas. Like I'm, <laughs> all, I'm in online dramas right now that I don't want to be part of that I, I created, you know, myself, like mm. in just by being present <laughs> like yeah is, is it fair to say you created it or did you just show up and it happened yeah but i mean i mean let's take a little responsibility like i put myself in a i put myself sure. somewhere yeah i don't know i, no, I, I put myself here, yeah. somewhere and then things happened okay. and i either responded to them or i didn't respond to them or what have you and then it's just like oh well i'm just part of this now i'm 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 in the middle of it or i'm I'm on the, the the fringes of it. And um, so much of it has to do with tone and communication. I think a lot of times through social media or even like when you're texting, whether it's family, friends, like whatever yeah. your unit of people are, it's like how things can be communicated are not really that effective through these modes since we're, we're, we're like, we're oh. communicating constantly, but I think people need to hear your voice in order to really get what you're saying oh, yeah. and hear your tone. The, the phone is a medium for communication. Yeah. I mean, that's why I like to get people on the phone for deep mm. communication. I, I want to hear yeah. someone's voice. And I mean, it's even better if you couldn't be in person and, and talking to somebody about a situation. But I mean, that's why like therapy is so effective, right? If you're doing like a joint therapy or a couples therapy or something like that, that's very effective. But I don't know, like, I just see, oh, God, like somebody will say something or if you tweet something or you write something and then somebody reads into it, whatever. It's like, dude, you're just you're just talking about yourself. 
like every every comment and i'll cop to that too like i'm just talking about myself when i respond to something so i don't know if you wanted where you wanted to end this episode wherever the river leads us i mean let's come back to to families any other questions or thoughts on family constellations and the the weird wonderful world of of well i think that there was something that you did send me when you sent me the family constellations i actually didn't read any of that i hopped right to that video on um Mm-hmm. family trauma and so yep. maybe just to end with some things that i gathered from that video was um please yeah inherited trauma and um i've been working with cliff who was on our podcast a while back shout out to cliff matsuno and he's all about epigenetics like he's big into epigenetics and i was thinking when i started listening to that interview that you sent me last night about inherited trauma and that there, if something happens, it really breaks, it breaks the heart of the family. And that hit me mm. in such a different way. Cause I mean, I've been talking about epigenetics to, with Cliff forever and about intergenerational trauma, but it didn't click until last night. So thank you for sending me that video because I've heard the, mm. the mouse study where they inject the mice, you know, they create with the sperm, they, give it what what's it called they scare them with something innocuous like a a strawberry or i think in this study it was something like uh the scent of a flower or something and they scare the mice with that and then they procreate those mice and with the with the sperm and those pups from the next litter of mice are automatically scared of the strawberries automatically scared of you know, the flowers, the scent of the flower that's already built. The offspring. Yeah. The offspring is, is yeah, completely, it's in, it's in their genetics to fear this thing. So mm-hmm. when I heard about this study with the strawberries first, cause he doesn't talk about the strawberry one. He talks about this other one in the video you sent me, he talks about the inherited stress response. And I was like, holy shit. This is so not woo-woo. Like, this is science. And I know he was talking about intergenerational trauma when we were discussing it with – I'm talking about Cliff now. I know I'm kind of moving back and forth to this video I watched and then to Cliff. But it's it's intergenerational in that we were literally passed down stress responses. So maybe I got really like – so I got really deep in thinking that Maybe like my fears around flying, my anxieties Mm. around isolation and things that were pre-pandemic fears and phobias that I've had that I've worked with you on specifically that have been inherited from things that don't concern me in this life, but that maybe my family fleeing from Europe Maybe I'm thinking about some of the past life regression sessions I had with you where I was like set on fire. Maybe someone in my family was in a fire and died in a fire or was pri- mm. part of crystal knot or something like I don't even know that because they're dead, obviously. But maybe that was passed on and then brought over, you know, to the United States, you know, that the those family members brought that over and it's yeah. in my DNA and that. My stress is actually, I'm not totally feel like I've, the burden has been lifted, but I felt like, oh, now I kind of understand. 
And I know we just recently did the Goodwill Hunting episode where it's just like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And I was like, oh, maybe this isn't mine, actually. <laughs> this anxiety. It's like, it's <laughs> right. It's oh, like not my fault, that but like hearing this right. um, author. Mark Wolin. Hearing him speak about that. And this is why I, I do not mind hearing the same thing from a different angle because it really resonated the way he said it. And now Cliff has been talking till he's blue in the face to me about epigenetics and having this other author say it in a different way. I was like, Oh fuck, that's epigenetics inherited stress responses. So I might be inadvertently triggered by something that has just been passed down through my DNA. And I was like, last night and then i could not sleep no i'm kidding no i went to bed i slept well last night (laughs) but yeah so i think um also considering those things and not things that have been passed on in terms of nature nurture like traits of like how you were raised but like inherent traits like things in your dna things that were passed on just as much as your hair color your eye color all of those things so just where um, I left and le- that's where uh, I left. <laughs> I think that's a great place to close. I think it's a great place to close. Truly. It's a beautiful example and anecdote about, as you say, stress responses that are passed down in just this way, which could be totally unconscious, mm-hmm. you know, and just activated and alive in our biology mm-hmm. in a way that we may or may not realize or be aware of in our bodies too like they talked about chronic pain of course yeah so just some follow-up reading for people if they are interested mark wolin has a book called it didn't start with you which covers all of this uh, in depth which is great uh, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score mm. by Bessel van der Kolk, which talks about memory in the body and how it operates on this unconscious and nonverbal level. And then also Virginia Satir, who's written a number of books. She is in many ways the mother of this movement and niche of therapy. She is absolutely one of the pioneers of family therapy from late last century and herself just a powerful and incredible woman. And uh, yeah, so I, I recommend looking into any of those characters and you'll find some, some great stuff. Love it. And thank you for listening to this episode of Mind Space Minimal. Heal on. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Visit us at mindspaceminimal.com and email us at mindspaceminimal at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening.